If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, join me this morning. We're going to be in two separate passages, but we're going to start out in Romans chapter 1, and then in a few minutes, we will move over a few pages to Mark chapter 2. And the message that I want us to explore this morning really fits exactly what we did this weekend and exactly what we as a church have anticipated being able to do. And, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about how crazy the last two years have been because we all know that story for all of us wherever we are. But for us here, things are starting to move, and it's really exciting. And to have you guys here from Champion Forest to be with us this weekend and be the hands and feet uh, with us was just phenomenal. And what we're, what we're going to discuss this morning and focus on is being on mission for life. Our lives should be lived on mission. Everything that we do should be on mission for Jesus Christ. We have opportunities all around us to share his name and his fame with everybody we come in contact with. And then I always like to add to it, and sometimes we get the chance to use our words. What we did yesterday was a little bit of both. We served the city and we served some people specifically and we had the chance, several of you had the chance to talk to people. You passed out some cards and you had some conversations. But just what you did, your physical presence, was sharing Jesus Christ and the love that we have for this city. And I hope now the love that you go home with and tell your church and your friends back in Houston about. And maybe next time when y'all come, you can bring some more with you. And, and we can spread out a little bit further. But our lives should be on mission. But before, and, and there's, there's a, for all of us, this is a reality. But before we kind of get to that idea of living on mission, even though it should be a natural thing for us, there, there are some, some questions that just naturally come up for us because we're people. And there's questions that we have to answer. And the question, the big question that we have to answer in order to live our lives for Jesus is we have to answer the question and fill in the blank of who Jesus is. And the question would sound something like, Jesus, you are, and then there's a blank. And we have to fill that in. And some of us some of us fill it in real quick and real easy, and some of us kind of hold back on how we answer that question of who Jesus is to us. And then that determines for us how we're living our life on mission. And just because I like to, I like to look things up and, and want to share some facts with you this morning, I used Google because questions are just interesting to me, just questions in general. So I used Google and asked Google some questions because, you know, Google controls like, where is it? I've got it in my notes somewhere. It's like 92% of the question market, if that makes sense, is controlled by Google. It's obviously the number one search engine. And so also, since I asked Google and we got this off the internet, we all know that this has to be 100% correct, right? It, I mean, it just, it just has to be. So I asked Google some questions, and the main question that I asked Google was about questions. 
And I found out some, some things that I think are interesting, hopefully that you will also. Who do you think is asked the most questions? Anybody got a guess? Siri is asked a lot of questions. See, y'all think a little bit different than some of us do. Moms. Moms are asked the most questions. On average, a mom is asked 23 questions an hour. If you're a mother in the room, I promise you can, I know that you relate to that. But moms are asked 23 questions an hour. We have a lot of teachers in the, in the group this morning too. Teachers are asked 19 questions an hour. So think about that. If you're a mom and a teacher, how many questions you get asked, right? She's asked a lot of questions. Doctors come in third. They're asked 18 questions an hour. Um, who asks the most questions? This one is really kind of funny, and I remember these days. But four-year-old girls ask the most questions. A four-year-old girl, on average, according to Google, will ask 390 questions a day. A four-year-old girl, 390 questions a day. That's a question every two minutes. <laughs> I remember the days well. For us, over our lifetimes, we'll ask 9,100 questions. I guess as we get older, we just quit asking. I don't, I don't know. Um, and so let's, some math, because math is always fun, right, students? Math is fun. In the United States, our life expectancy is 79 years old, according to the CDC. That's, that's updated statistics. So that means over our life expectancy, we would ask 721,000 questions. It's a few, not many. That's a few. And here's the top five questions that are asked. What is that? Is it dangerous? I bet none of the boys in here ask that question. Can I eat it? And then four and five were a tie between why, how, and what. They, they were a tie. So those are, those are some popular questions. And then just, I told you Google was number one at 92%. Just to kind of give you an idea, these are, this is 2022 numbers. So Google has finally updated some of their numbers. It is asked, Google is asked, and these are first level questions. It doesn't count like we all do. We ask a question, then we click on something and we keep drilling down. This is just first level questions. Google has asked 3.1 trillion questions a year. Just first questions, 3.1 trillion, and that's 8.5 billion a day, or 99,000 a second. That's how many questions that Google has asked. But we're not here, we're not here just to talk about Google and four-year-old little girls and all of those kind of things. And I've probably asked way too many questions already this morning of you. But again, for us, there's a big question that we have to answer. So I wanted to get you thinking about what we do and how we ask questions because we've got to fill in the question for us of exactly who Jesus is so that as we live our lives on mission, our life is a reflection of him and not a reflection of what we think or what our opinion is or what we want him to be. There's danger in that too because we can fill in the blank with an answer describing Jesus of what we want him to be in that moment instead of who 
he is. We, we can so quickly lose sight of that. So let's go to Romans chapter 1. And that's why, I, that's why I wanted to read a couple of these verses, because in, in this chapter and in, in the beginning, Paul talking to the Gentiles, he's, he's talking to people in general. And, and this, as, as Ro, the book of Romans is, is kicked off, as we call it, the book, um, he's, he's addressing the fact that people are sinners, people need to be saved, Justification comes by faith alone. We're made right with Christ through our faith in Him alone. And God fulfills His promise to all people. God will and does fulfill His promise. And this whole big story that, that Paul is talking about and that we're going to read, the truth of it is, like we'll see in these verses, if we get Jesus wrong, if we get our opinion, and if we get who he is in our lives wrong, we get everything else wrong about him. Everything else is out of line if we don't have him correct in our lives. So let's, let's go to Romans chapter 1 and look at a few verses. We're going to start in verse 18, and I do, I hope that you have your Bibles or your Glow Bible, or if you need a Bible, we have a few in the back that we would love to share with you. And we'll have some of these on the screen as well. Uh, but starting in verse 18. But God shows, shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it, I can't see, he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish things of what God was like. And we're just we're going to stop right there this morning. Uh, it, it, there, there's more to read and, and to talk about, but here, here's what Paul is describing, and here's what I want, I want us to think about as, as we dig in in Mark chapter 2. What he's describing is the perspective that people have of who God is and ultimately who Jesus is, and that perspective drives everything when they're trying to answer that question and they're filling in the blank. And if you read those verses in Romans chapter 1, you can really quickly see they filled the blank in completely different than what the truth is. And the reality is for all of us, and, and, and I'm not saying any of this to be critical or, or to shame anybody or to call anybody out, but just to get us to think, how do we answer that question? Because it's so vital for us, again, as we are living our life on mission, just like we've done this weekend, that should just naturally be who we are wherever we are. That's, that's the key for us. So let's go to Mark chapter 2 and really dig into our, our account this morning that's, that's got a lot, that's just got a lot in it. 
And we're going to take some time this morning and just kind of dig in and, and unpack some of this. But I want to share something with, with you as we get ready to read this passage and as I share some thoughts with you that I think re will relate to all of us. But as, as I read and as I study the Word, and this is something that I would challenge you to do as well, as I read and as I study, I do everything that I can within the abilities of my small mind to put myself there, to go there. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What's, what's going on around in the, the account, in the story? And then I try my best and, and don't even come close but to imagine what would people be thinking? What would they be saying? What would be going through their minds as they, as they see these things unfold? Because you guys know this, this, this book that we call the Bible, the truth of God, is full of information for us and how to live our lives, but it's full of accounts in the New Testament and where we are in Mark, of, of stories of the life of Jesus Christ and the things that he does. And one thing that's so, so good about Mark, um, it's just, it's quick. It's just one scene to another, just action of what Jesus is doing. And, and Mark is emphasizing the power of Jesus. And, and we get to see the, the Son of God in action. So let's take a look at, at our account this morning, our story. Mark chapter 2, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And again, these, these will be on the screen as well. And I bet you'll know, I bet you'll know this story. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But none of the but some, excuse me, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? And that's in, in reference to Jesus. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. This is wrong. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately. Again, those those things that Jesus did and saw and said, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, he asked those religious leaders, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. 
They were amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. So again, Jesus in action, things happening, people seeing it, and of course, people forming opinions and answering that question right there on the spot. So let's, let's take a look at the, the people in the story. As, as for them, they're answering that question of who Jesus is. And for us, again, take yourself there and think, how would I answer that question then? And how do I answer that question today? But let's start those, those four friends because we have to start with them. I don't know. I can't stand here and tell you that they knew exactly who Jesus was. But they had heard. And, and we know that they have heard because they're, they're on their way. They're trying to get their friend to Jesus. They've certainly heard his power. And can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine the conversation these four guys are having? You know, I, I've heard this and I've heard that. And so-and-so and -so told me that he's done this. And, man, our, our buddy needs him. So let's, let's get him there. And they're, they're, they're excited to go. And they have... And, and this, is, this is so important for us, too. They have an expectation of what's going to happen when they have an encounter with Jesus and when their friend has an encounter with Jesus. They're, they have an expectation because they know from what they've heard that something is going to happen, but they, they get there, right? They get there with their, with their friend, and they're too late. The house is full. There's people outside. They can't, they can't get there. But that's their priority. They want to get their friend to Jesus, but they just can't get in. And then there's that one guy in the group. I love this guy. And this is my brain. But he sees a ladder. He sees a ladder. And so they go up on the roof. And, and think about the roof of your house. You've got a friend, and you take him up on the roof, and you want to dig a hole to get through to get your friend down in there. Maybe you've locked yourself out of the house or something. I don't know. But think about what work it would take for you to dig a hole. These guys, same thing. They're, the roof that they were digging through wasn't like the roofs that we have on our houses, but they were determined and they're digging a hole, and they're moving stuff, and this isn't a little small hole. They've got to make a hole to get this friend through because they know something's going to happen, and they're compelled. That's such a key word. They're compelled to get their friend in front of Jesus, no matter what it takes. Their life on mission to get their friend in front of Jesus, but we'll... We'll hang on right there. We're going to come back to these guys. We're going to come back to these guys. Let's, let's move ahead in the story to the crowd. It tells us there's a crowd of people there. There's no room inside or outside to be with Jesus anymore. And these people are here. They've packed the house. But what are they there for? And, and, and think about that personally. What are, you, what are you there for? What are you here for this morning? It, it depends on how you've, you've answered that question of who Jesus is and how you filled in that blank. Are you here 
Because it's just where everybody else is going. Are you here because this is where the bus brought you? Are you here because you have an expectation to have an encounter with Jesus this morning or last night or yesterday or tomorrow? What, what are you looking for? Are you just following the crowd? Or are you expecting to meet Jesus and to have an encounter with him that that as we read in the story that that paralyzed man kind of day that changes everything for you do you have that expectation when you're trying to get to Jesus and that should be every day we should be trying to get in front of our king every day with an expectation that something is going to happen in our lives or in our friends' lives because we're on mission for him. We have that expectation that he's going to move and he's going to change something. And you wonder, I wonder a lot, did the crowd, did they even notice what was going on above their heads? Because it, it, you know, I, I would think they did, right? But there, there was stuff going on, but they were, they were there and I hope in expectation of what Jesus was going to do. And then we won't spend a lot of time on those religious leaders, but we need to talk about them for just a second. There's that skeptical group, and that group, they knew what was going on. Trust me, those guys knew what was going on. And this, this may sound sometimes like, just being honest, some people in our churches, they know what's going on, and they don't want it to happen because somebody's messing with the stuff, right? Somebody's messing with the stuff, and that's not the way we do things around here, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Who told them they could dig that hole? Who told them they could move that? Who told them they could and fill in that blank? But I don't think, and the way we read the story, I don't think they had really any expectation of Jesus doing anything in their lives that day. They were just there being critical. They were there checking things out. And they were there making sure nothing went wrong. And our life on mission, as we're filling in that blank of who Jesus is, man, we can't be there. We can't be critical of what's going on around us. And it's not, about, it's not about the paint on the walls or anything else. It's about chasing hard after Jesus Christ. The other stuff is, is seriously just decorations. It doesn't matter. Our heart for Jesus is what matters as we live our life on mission. How many times have I said that now? You getting tired of hearing that, living your life on mission? I hope not. I hope Taylor says it to you 9,000 times on the way home on the bus. Because that's what we're about as we serve our king. So let's go back. I told you we would go back to the four friends. Let's look at those four friends again. Remember their excitement. Their passion to get their friend in front of Jesus. And again, this wasn't a little small hole. These guys had to think outside the box. 
They had to be creative. They had to, they had to work hard. They had to come up with a way that they could get their friends there. And here's, man, this, this is, this is the big question for us. Do you think that those four friends were really worried about what anybody else thought? Absolutely not. And that's how we should live our lives for Christ. There's, there, there will be critics. There will be doubters. There will be people to tell us, stop. But our passion and our desire for others to know him because of what he's done in our lives should drive everything that we do. And we shouldn't have concern about what somebody else might think. It's not one of those, well, I trust Jesus. He'll do something. How are we going to get our friends to Jesus? It's not something just to pray about. Action. The circumstances for these guys didn't discourage them. Don't let your circumstances discourage you. And they worked together. Just like we did yesterday. And just like you guys, as you go back to Houston... And us here as a church, a family, and we spell family PF, our family here, we're working together. Think it's that multiplication thing, you know. We can do more together. So work together. But that question for those four friends, or that fact for those four friends that should be a fact for us, and even a question for us this morning. What compels us? What compels us to get our friends to Jesus Christ? I know what He did for me. I know that you know what He's done for you. That should compel you to get your friends in front of Jesus Christ so they can know Him. And they can experience that love and grace and mercy that he has for them too. He has it for them also. It's not a private club. We want to we bring people to Jesus Christ. And we haven't talked about two more people yet. Quickly, let's talk about them. Let's talk about the man on the mat, the paralyzed man or as, as I like to talk about him, the forgiven man, the restored man, the friend that they had to get to Jesus. Just think about him. He's hanging on the words of these guys because he, they're carrying him on the mat to go see Jesus. And he's like, who are we going to see? Who, who, what, why, where are we going? I, I, and this is, this is just me trying to think and, and, and understand what's going on. But, you know, you're taking me to see who. And then they get there. He can't get in. And then the ladder. Remember the ladder? And then they're on the roof. And just think about this guy. You're, you're going to put me through what? Because he, 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 he can't do anything. He's just got to trust these guys. But they're going to drop. You're going to drop me down through a hole. And what? To who? And where? But remember what it said at the end of that story. He got up after he jumped up and walked out of the room. Can you imagine? 
Because for me, this is the picture of the story that I love. Can you imagine the stride that this guy had? And I don't think it was this proud, you know, look at me kind of walk. But there was something different about him because of the encounter that he had with Jesus Christ. And you did too at some point. And your stride changed. Your step changed. And for this man, his stride changed. Everything for him and everything about him changed because of that encounter with Jesus Christ. And he's the last one in the room that we haven't talked about yet. Jesus. And here's what I think. I think he looked up and he saw determination. He looked down and he saw despair. He looked around the room and he saw disbelief. And he looked into the hearts of the people there and even saw some doubt because he addresses that. He saw their doubt. And for us, that question, filling in that blank of who Jesus is, what, what does Jesus see? What does he see when he looks at you? Does he see doubt? Does he see fear? Does he see joy? Does he see passion? Does he see a life on mission? Does he see someone who doesn't know him? What does Jesus see when he looks at you and you're trying to answer that question of who he is? So Nathan... If you would come up this morning, we'll, we'll conclude our time together, worshiping together. But we want to give the opportunity because I don't know the story of everyone in the room. But I want to give the opportunity as, as we always should because we, we came together today for an encounter with Jesus Christ. And, and today there may be somebody here that needs to respond to how he's calling and how he's working in your life right now. And we want to give you that opportunity. We never want to ignore the opportunity to respond to how Jesus is calling. So Nathan, in just a second, will lead us in worship. And if you need to respond, if, if for you here this morning, there's never been that time when you've even started to fill in the blank, Jesus, you are. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. Taylor and Courtney, Michaela, I'll ask you guys to join me in the back of the room. And students, if you need to talk or to pray with one of your leaders, please do that this morning. Don't wait. Don't, don't say, well, I'll get on the bus and I'll go back home. If Jesus is calling and working in your heart right now, Gary, you too. I'm sorry, I overlooked you there. But if he's, if he's working in your heart this morning, let's take that opportunity for you to respond and to fill in that blank of who he is. Because we're all sinners separated from God. And what we deserve is death, separation from him forever, but God. For all who call on his name, there is salvation. There is peace. 
And there's rest in knowing Him as your King. And then there's that opportunity to live your life on mission for Him. So if that's, if that's how He's working in your heart this morning, we'll be in the back. Come, find one of us. Talk with us. We'd love, love to pray with you. And this morning, in your journey, if, if you've just kind of gotten off track and the, the answer to that question you filled in with some opinion or, or something else that's not the truth of who Jesus is, and you need to talk to someone, to pray with someone, we'll be in the back. Please, let us pray with you. And, and not that we've got perfect answers, but just to help you to, to recenter on who Jesus is in your life. So as we worship, as God is calling, respond. Don't wait. Now, now is the time. So Father, this morning as, as, we, as we continue to worship you, God, I just pray that uh, for all of us, all of us, that our response to you would just simply be yes. Yes to your call in our lives and our response to you would be a life on mission. So God, this morning in this room, have your way. You call us. We'll respond. And Father, we love you. God, we trust you. And Father, we admit we need you so very much. So Father, you have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.